Welcome to episode 100 of Milwaukee Steelgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Joining me today are JP Breen and Ryan Topp. And hey, we got to 100. Yeah. Are you excited? Yeah. I'm, I'm quite excited. And now I'm looking at that. So the, on the rundown, from the very beginning, when you started writing the rundown, Steve, you put four digits. So that it would be zero, zero, and then whatever the episode number was. And now it's zero, one, zero, zero. So we've made it to the third significant digit, I guess. And I remember thinking when you had put that zero there, that that was that over potentially going over a thousand, that that was hopelessly optimistic. It was. <laughs> but then again, like I, a hundred probably was kind of hopelessly optimistic as well. So it was though, JP, you kind of screwed up our, our episode count with the mini pods. We, we technically on, on this feed passed a hundred podcasts, I don't know, probably 10 episodes ago. Well, and then if you include the the minor league pods too, it's gotten a little bit higher than that. But we've done a hundred of them that really matter. One hundred of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball podcast proper. So what we're gonna do is we got a, a giveaway from JP to to commemorate this one hundred one uh, hundredth episode. So JP, do you want to give them the details of uh, what we're gonna do here? Absolutely. So. As our listeners are, are well aware, I've been moving quite a bit, and so therefore have realized how much stuff that I have that I do not want to keep. And one of the things that I have is quite a bit of uh, Brewers bobbleheads, and going to start giving uh, some of them away, but we wanted to start out for our 100th episode as one that is uh, potentially much more popular. I've got a, a Robin Yount bobblehead, and Robin... Robin has uh, lost his packaging over the moves. He's the only one that I have that does not have any packaging with it. But Robin is uh, he's looking quite quite dapper in the in the newer Brewers uniform, uh, standing with his hands on his hips, and he is uh, ready to be won. So what we're going to do is also commemorate what's been happening this past week. A lot of chat from my end about runners in scoring position and batting average uh, with runners in scoring position. So. From starting Monday's Monday through Sunday, who or what is uh, what is the Brewers' batting average with runners in scoring position from Monday? So that'd be what Monday the twenty second, Monday July twenty second to to Sunday. This should be the, and, the, the day you're listening to this. Absolutely, and so email us at milwaukees.tailgate at gmail .com with your guess. The closest, whether it's over or under, the closest in terms of batting average, so three digits, right, point, whatever, 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 batting average with runners in scoring position from Monday to Sunday, closest person to it will win a Robin Yount bobblehead in commemoration of our 100th episode of Milwaukee's Tailgate. I just had a thought. We probably should put a time limit as to when their submission has to be in by, like sure. maybe like Wednesday or something, and because it's going to change a lot from, you know, Wednesday to Sunday. But yeah, Wednesday. We'll, no, we'll say uh, we'll say th uh, Tuesday by midnight. Okay. Tuesday by midnight. As long as you get your uh, guesses in by Tuesday at midnight, that means you can get a little bit of a head start, I guess, watching a couple games. And they're sending that to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Which I will put in the episode details. And also, uh, I guess you should probably... Uh, do Yount bobblehead giveaway in the subject? I don't think we get too any other emails uh, in which it'll be difficult <laughs> to discern which ones are coming in for that it. Is, so just tell us if you want to put it in the the 
the subject headline, that's great. But otherwise, we'll we'll know if there's an email that has a random batting average in it that this is about the the pod the podcast giveaway. So Robin Yount bobblehead batting average with runners in scoring position from Monday the twenty second all the way to Sunday. So through those set of games, and then uh, next week, uh, so be like a week from Monday, we'll announce who who wins on uh, our Milwaukee's tailgate. Uh, Twitter account, and then we will email you. Get get your address, and I'll send it out. And we'll we'll do all of that. Yeah, so fun stuff. Make sure you enter that. And like I said, that's to commemorate 100 episodes here for Milwaukee's Tailgate. Now you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our MNB and Ball and Glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Milwaukee Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Currently on shelves with those year-round releases are Raspberry Fantasy Factory IPA, Idiot Farm Imperial IPA, and cans of America AF Watermelon Kolsch, which I finally found. Okay, so I was over at Total Wine looking for it, and it's not on the shelves, Ryan, with everything else. You actually have to go to the cooler to find that one? Oh, I suppose. So it is. The, I, I know it's in the Milwaukee area. You can find it. You just might have to go looking in the cooler for it as opposed to just being out on the shelves by itself. And uh, like I said, that's a good one when it's hot. Have you had it in a while? I have not, no. We had it last last summer when they released it. We went and got growlers of it. I remember that. Yeah. Well, not that it's been like hot in Milwaukee or anything like that recently. It has been god-awful. You know, even since the heat broke, it's still just like Muggy. swimming. Yeah. yeah. So uh, go out and get that America AF Watermelon Coalition. That'll cool you off. Uh, all are great for a hot summer day. Also get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer, brilliance. Okay, as JP alluded to, uh, the week started out rough, but in that uh, 4-2 to loss to the Braves on Monday, Yasmani Grandal got ejected, and that turned around their... Uh, uh, not Babip. Did it, it did. Did Runners it in scoring science? position. Scientifically, Yasmani Grandal changed the course of the Milwaukee Brewers lineup by getting ejected, and they've started to hit with runners in scoring position. Absolutely. So, Ryan, if, if you're asking did it, allow me to offer you some facts that you are free to disagree with if you would like. Hashtag facts only. <laughs> since, since the Yasmani Grandal uh, ejection game, uh, the Brewers have lost only once. They are hitting... Uh, over 350 with uh, runners in scoring position since that game. And Freddie Peralta hasn't given up a run out of the bullpen. All of those things have happened since that point. So I'm not sure exactly what you're trying to argue against in terms of whether or not that actually had a significant defense. Because, again, the only game that the Brewers have lost since that point was a game in which the D-backs had somebody ejected, which, you know, that's tough. I loved the ejection. Uh, especially the post-ejection thing where he was basically like, yeah, I kind of flipped out probably a little bit too much over that, but, you know, was frustrated and things weren't going well. And, yeah, uh, I, I kind of regret it. I, I love it when players kind of backtrack like that. It's fun. 
spurred the spurred the team forward though gave them the injection of life and emotion that they needed it was a, it was a bit of a delayed reaction but yeah because i mean it didn't spur them to win on monday but then they won by a but lot th- on tuesday sometimes so. sometimes you need a little bit of a moment to actually reflect on the meaning of certain events and you can't just necessarily do it at exactly that moment sometimes you need to sleep on it yeah i mean it was that tuesday game was also my first game attending uh the brewers in person in like a month so personally i'd like to take credit for giving them that uh push over the hump and winning that game in such glorious fashion that okay, we could leave early and let, not even yeah you let's know. not be ridiculous only scientific takes here right and I'd, it's not like you've been attending every single game in arizona that they've been winning so i wouldn't be ridiculous here that's fair <laughs> <laughs> but it has finally started to turn around i mean we hope with it you can kind of see it clicking. Well, it, I, I sent a tweet out this week that you could kind of see things clicking into place a little bit with the roster. Um, well, so. and, and where? All, okay, hold on a second. Where do you see it clicking into place? Like wh- specifically, what are you talking about? I mean, we've now seen kind of extended good runs of hitting from Jesus Aguilar, from Ryan Braun, from Eric Thames, like guys that hadn't been hitting uh, necessarily a ton have been clicking. You see, Chase Anderson has been on a really nice run. Uh, Jared Radcliffe, shouts to him, posted something about the fact that they had an ERA under, their starters have an ERA under three, going back almost a month now. If you go back to like the end of, towards the end of June, it was like June 27th, I think he said. So like you could kind of feel things clicking into place. Uh, Hauser, I know it's been contentious and we'll talk about it later, but Hauser moving back to the uh, bullpen, I think is a net positive for the team at this point, even if it's not necessarily his best long-term role. I think it helps them in the short term quite a bit. So all of that, it ju- you just kind of feel those things clicking into place. Well, and I mean, also, I mean, the Braves are a tough team, so it was good to see them kind of put it together against the Atlanta Braves. I mean, did there's a bit of a narrative going on right now that they can beat the good teams and they seem to struggle against the crappy teams, which the Giants have kind of what they're straddling that right now because they're like a 500 team everybody's all hot and bothered about the giants because since the start of june they're you know significantly over 500 and the giants are not a good roster and they'll almost certainly go back to being pretty craptastic soon enough but the brewers happened to catch them for their two series when they were playing well and that happens it's been more than it's been more than two series for the giants oh it's been like i said since the start of june well the giants are about are 500 i think Yes. And but I will say, like, in, in all seriousness about kind of all of this stuff about the offense kind of clicking in, I will say uh, L- Lorenzo Cain hit a couple of homers since we talked about his power mm-hmm. outed. Um, and he made some great defensive plays for people that were wondering, does his defensive ability go into a slump? He's he started to kind of turn it around there for people that have been wondering about that. I'll own that. I, I've asked that question. Well, no, and that's fine. I'm just saying that, like, he's defensively, he was quite good this week as well. So he's somebody else that has really turned it around. Keston here has been unbelievable as well. He's still hitting the ball all over the place. But Have we talked about big- Lorenzo Kane's thumb thing, the the thumb surgery that he had the Ryan Braun procedure, basically, where they freeze some stuff there to take away some pain. Yeah, pain management. Doctor Top, what do you have to add to that? Well, it, it. I don't think we've mentioned on the pod, and I think we should that like since that happened, he has seemingly hit for more power like there seems to be more oomph behind the bat for him and that you know probably isn't an accident jp do you think cryotherapy adds oomph to uh players abilities 
I don't know, but uh, that that's the kind of like narrative. That's basically much like uh, the Yasmani Grandal ejected from the game on Monday has like spurred them. Oh, come on. It's a physical thing. It's Yasmani Grandal was physically ejected from the game. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm making a, a conversation about correlation and causation, right? Um, but uh, no. in all like in all seriousness about the offense, like I was pointing it out earlier this week that um, the Brewers batting average on ball and play with runners in scoring position has been the second worst in baseball. Uh, this was going uh, on Monday's game on, on July 15th. Second worst in baseball and was uh, up near to 20 points a batting average below what their batting average on ball and play is with runners on base. Not just like runners in scoring position, but runners on base and like more generally. So showing that you know, just because they have runners on base doesn't mean they suddenly have been bad. It just is with runners in scoring position, their batting, their batted ball luck has been so much worse. Well, and, and I, I will say that Saturday game sure was some uh, uh, reversal of fortune in uh, BABIP for the team with the Yelich double. Did you see that one? Absolutely. <laughs> the Yelich double that I think bounced, what, right by third base in the shift? Yeah, it went off his glove and then. No, no, no. no. That was the hero one that went off the glove. Hira had the the rocket at third base that went off the guy's glove. Yelich's it didn't hit anybody because they were shifted, but it was the one of the I think it was like forty some miles an hour off the bat. Yeah, it was just a little little jam Fo- shot. Yeah, followed by a brawn kind of flared line drive into center that scored him, and then Hira also had that one flare shot that just dropped into it was a Texas leaguer. So they but, Saturday like, was a good game for them. It was, and the one thing I wanted to point out about the the kind of the narrative that we place on the runners and scoring position thing is that they try too hard. They try to hit too many home runs or, or what have you. They strike out less. They've struck out less this year with runners and scoring position than they have overall. Their batting average on ball and play is almost 20 points worse than it is when they just have runners on base, which still includes when they have runners in scoring position. Um, and so what this is, is uh, some bad batted ball luck over the course of the year thus far. It's a team that strikes out a lot in general, and it's a and when those things combine, it's really frustrating. But you would expect that batted ball luck to kind of go up to what it is over the like just their ability overall uh, over the course of the year. And runners in scoring position is inherently a pretty small sample, and so those things can really uh, have trouble uh, stabilizing over the course of a season, much less half a season or much less a month or anything like that. And I would. And and my biggest frustration with with the conversation is when the Brewers do struggle in a in a stretch of games or they do struggle in a game with runners in scoring position, the the inevitable discussion is either a they're not trying hard enough, right? Like they're they're oh they're just if they would try to hit better with runners in scoring position they would have done better, which great. Um, or the other conversation is that you know what they need to do is just put the ball in play more. Which, A, they do put the ball in play more than they normally do. But uh, putting the ball in play, we know at this point, just putting the ball in play is not necessarily better. Putting the ball in play with weak contact is actually worse for you than striking out. Especially with runners on, because that opens up the possibility, if there's a runner at first, of a double play. Absolutely. And 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 you have the issue of like the contact play at third base, which I know everybody hates. But if you put the ball in play with really weak contact and you've got somebody trying to get home because they can't get it out of the infield, you're potentially just gunning down a runner that you should be trying to get home with a sack fly or something of that sort. And so 
it it goes into what I talked about a, a couple of weeks ago now on on the mini pod, and I don't want to get into it too much. So if you want to go back to it, you can listen to me rant about it. But trying to ascribe meaning to things that are happening in small samples is not always helpful. And just because it it sucks to watch a team really just struggle with runners in scoring position, but when they do well over the past week, and they've crushed the ball with runners in scoring position over the past week. And nobody for a second has looked at that and said, you know what? They've actually been better than they probably should be, and that's going to get worse next week. Like, no one says that. It's just, this is exactly what they should do. They should find success. They should be hitting near 400 with runners in scoring position over the past week. No, they shouldn't. And it's going to get worse. And so you have to take the, the, the bad stretches with the good stretches. You have to recognize that the only thing that people do think about is when things go badly, and they never remember when things go well. And it's just like the conversation about, you know, they struggle with teams that are doing badly and then they play well against teams that are good. You just only remember when they struggle against bad teams because in your mind, that's unacceptable, right? And it goes to what Ryan was talking about earlier. The reason that people always remember blown leads in the bullpen is because it's never okay to blow a lead in the bullpen. And so those always stick out in your head. Yeah, when you guys, when was that? You were talking about Guillermo Mota? Yeah. Oh, don't let's not even talk about Guillermo that one, Mota. That yeah, was back in what? Two thousand was that two thousand two thousand seven. Eight. Two thousand seven. Eight. Oh God, no, please. No, don't. I could We're still feel just that one. Summon up the ghost of that game. I could still feel that one. When you guys brought it up a few weeks ago, I could still feel that one. It just came over, up again yesterday. Over a decade ago. So actually speaking about that, do you know so now the the AZL Brewers, so down the Arizona League, their rookie ball affiliate down in Maryvale. There, the AZL Brewers gold, the AZL Brewers blue. Um, I was looking at it. So the Dodgers now have two games, and one of them is the AZL Dodgers Moda. I hope I I don't know, but I hope it's I hope the other one is Guillermo, and I hope it's after Guillermo Moda. <laughs> like that's actually like a legit hope. That's what it is. I don't actually know because I haven't looked it up. But yeah, one of their teams is the AZL Dodgers Moda. Okay, Moda. so it's. <laughs> Uh, moving on a little bit. Okay, we've gotten some good starts from Chase Anderson. Uh, Zach Davies seems to have straightened out after a bit of a slump in June. What do we say? Yeah, I mean, he had a run where he was not real sharp. I'm calling it June-ish. And then, yeah, Brandon Woodruff still pitching well. So Yuli Shasin struggling. Um, they're still kind of searching for answers. How do we feel about the rotation at the moment, though? Because, Ryan, I know you, you've been impressed with Chase Anderson right now. Yeah, I mean, Chase Anderson, if you look at it, he has a 396 ERA. It's a 114 ERA plus. That's solidly above average. And I brought up this week, you have to look at like what the league average is right now. It's We're about a half a run higher league average this year versus last year, which means that if a pitcher puts up a ERA half a point higher than what they did last year, they're effectively roughly pitching the same. And I don't think people make that adjustment in their heads. And I think there's a lot of angst caused by that where people are like, well, their bullpen is trash this year. No, the bullpen's fine this year. It's, it's not great like it was last year, but it's fine. It's still, you know, right around league average and whatever. And so it's fine. And I think if you look at like Chase Anderson, the big question I have, and actually I, I want to hear JP's opinion on this. How big a deal is it? Because Chase Anderson, like I said, 114 ERA plus, so he's 14% better than league average in terms of preventing runs, but he is averaging under five innings per start. He's at like 4.8 something. 
So he's under five innings per start. How big a problem is that for them? Is it a big problem or is it something they can work around? I mean, my own take is that it's not it's not as big of a problem as it could be. And, and the reason is because who they have in the bullpen at the moment, right? They've got Hauser, they've got Freddie Peralta, they've got Junior Guerra, they've got people that can handle multiple innings. If they were cobbling together four or five innings of just single inning guys after Chase Anderson needed to come out in the fourth inning or the fifth inning, that would be a problem over over an extended stretch. But if you can get Freddie Peralta to go two two and a half innings, something like that, and then you can just only use two or three guys, that's not actually you know the end of the world. Yeah, and I think we saw it on Saturday with with Gio Gonzalez as well that they were able to cover and they went to Freddie for two innings, then they went to Hauser, and Hauser gave up that kind of ridiculous bloop that Braun let get by him for a triple, and so they went to Hater which this was a thing I pointed out on Twitter last night that we now take for granted that Craig Council is going to, in that situation with a two-run lead, runner at third, one out in the eighth, that Craig Council goes to Hater, And that is not normal. That is not the standard thing that you will see from managers across the big leagues. Some will. But to be fair, though, to be fair, I, do you think, because I was under the impression when following the game, that if they wouldn't have scored and and basically put the game out of a save situation, Hader would have taken the ninth. It wasn't a situation in which he was just coming in for the eighth. It was something in which he was then going to he was going to finish out the game. No, Hader was going to finish out the game if they didn't score. I of that I have no doubt. But then they did score, it, and but Craig Council went back to weird, what though. he did. Is that is that that weird to say if you've got somebody that's an elite reliever who's in your close who's taking the closer role and can go more than one inning i don't really find that all i don't find that to be that uh out of step with what a lot of managers will do i think what i mean mets fans will tell you that they don't do that (laughs) i think one of the things that is odd is that the vast majority of teams don't have a closer that can go multiple innings i think that's true and i think the brewers have made an effort in their whole development process to get guys ready to do exactly this, to be Freddie Peralta, to be Adrian Hauser, to be Josh Hader, uh, to, to, to be, be Junior Williams, to be Drew, Drew Rasmussen, right? Like to, be to be Cody Potts, to be, going. yes, the whole list. That's, that's a part of what they're doing now, and it is part of their overall strategy, and it's why they're able to cover more effectively from the bullpen than what we would have thought back in the day. We wouldn't have thought that this was possible 10 years ago because we were mostly locked into this idea that, well, relievers will mostly go one inning. And we hoped, well, maybe someday teams are going to break out of this pattern, but they didn't really seem to want to. I used to say that and used to poo-poo me on it. I did. I did because nobody was doing it. Because they would. But the thing that I think was happening for a long time is that relievers, they were only able to go one inning because they were absolute max effort guys. And now I think uh, a velocity is coming easier. Um, and I think that guys are actually being trained to be, you know, whether it's through driveline or whether it's through all of these places, they can handle their velocity over a longer period of time and that they're not absolutely maxing out in one inning stints. They can I, go. I think they also, they also conditioned a lot of relievers to believe in their roles. 
Absolutely. So there are a lot of guys, hey, you're going to go just specifically get this guy out. And then you're right. just specifically going to go out there and be max effort for this one inning. I right. think Cameron, once they started. Cameron, well, Cameron Lowe was the eighth inning guy for however many years. What was it? A year, year and a half or whatever. Well, he was an odd one because he was the type of pitcher that should have been able to go multiple innings. Yeah, he should have. He was toyed with it at times, really but not now. consistently. Yeah, yeah, but he wasn't a max effort guy. He was a sinker ball guy that you think he could have maintained for multiple innings and been effective. So well, who knows his problem always was going to be though he got lit by lefties because of being a sinker baller. So sure. well, but so I wanted to go really back uh, super quickly, not to get too far into this, but Ryan talking about kind of uh, readjusting our expectations. Um, because of the run environment that's happening. Uh, I do think that the, the Brewers bullpen is uh, maybe their average, um, but being average when you're trying to be a contending team, I would say that uh, that's not necessarily average. They might be league average, but in order to be a contending team, you'd want to be better than average, which is why I still think they need to, to beef that up. But one of the reasons why it looks so bad over the course of the year, uh, on on as a league right now, there is on there the league is on pace to have about 2500 more home runs than last year 2500 more home runs than last year last year they had 5585 they've got oh, they've almost got 4100 home runs already i mean you're talking a, about like a 30% 40% increase that's nuts Sure. Yeah. Well, and this is I, I was actually talking to Ryan about this last weekend. I'm like the two things they need to do is you need to a deaden the ball and B, you just need to shrink the zone to allow, you know, force pitchers basically to throw in the zone and not get punished for it. Yeah. I mean, I think that would, that would allow the game. It it might hurt some guys, you know, like a Freddie Peralta might struggle, you know, where he has issues with control. You're going to see so many more walks. Well, it would be interesting, but someone like Corbin Burns could probably sit in the zone more and not get punished for it in the same way. So I, you know, I think there overall will be trade-offs for a lot of pitchers, but it would force pitchers A, to be in the zone and B, it would put more balls in play without them, like basically leaving the yard on just a little shitty pop-up because that's what a lot of guys are complaining about right now. They, they give up a hit that they think is just a pop-up. And then it just carries and leaves the I mean, the let's yard. be fair. Moustakas' home run on Saturday night that flipped the game around was a ball that pretty clearly was a a, a juiced ball situation. Like, that ball probably sure. doesn't go out last year. But there are a lot of those. Yeah. Like, yeah. to, to say, it, oh, Moustakas got away with that, it's like, well, yeah, but it's happened the other way as well. So, I mean, oh, no, 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 it's just course. the way baseball is at the, at the moment. Well, it, and it's what Justin Verlander was talking about. He's saying that the biggest problem this year is not just the fact that, yeah, a lot of guys are hitting more home runs or, yeah, you know, you've got Joey Gallo hitting, you know, extra home runs or whatever. Like they expect that those guys can hit it. The problem that he's saying is more guys can go oppo mm-hmm. because there and, and that he's saying it's it's causing pitchers to not be able to to pound the outside part of the zone they have to pitch differently because you can't just say i'm going to make this guy go the opposite way because he's not going to be able to hit for power he's like guys like orlando rc can just go oppo now and hit 15 homers yeah like, and you know part of me i was like oh this is just an you know a guy who's been in the league for a lot of years complaining about it and then i looked and i'm like he averages 23 ish home runs in his career that he'd give up in a season he kind of peaked at about 30 in like justin verlander's worst season and he had given up 26 home runs at the break. And Justin Verlander is considered one of the aces in baseball. Like, he is go- he is going to fly past 
his career high for home runs allowed in a season in a year yeah. that everybody would still pick Justin Verlander as an ace. Well, and it's and the reason, you know, and this is what so many people have been talking about, like, oh, they need more action in the game. And that's why they're changing all this stuff in the Atlantic League. And uh, you're forcing guys like Justin Verlander and you're forcing guys uh, to be able to say, I have to miss bats. I, I cannot give up contact. I have to miss bats and I'm going to be willing to walk somebody before I give somebody uh, up a home run. And Justin Verlander is saying that he's like he has to change his style of pitching because he cannot give up contact. Well, and, that's why, like I said, if if you deaden the ball and force pitchers to pitch in the zone without getting killed, you're probably going to be able to reduce some of the the strikeouts, which people get annoyed by. And then yep. you'll get more action in the field. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly something to play with, and it'll be interesting to see what I mean, they end up doing with the ball going forward. The problem is that in the short term, it's going to you deaden the ball. If you don't do something else, like you're talking about with shrinking the like zone, like I said, there, to counteract, there it, are a couple things because you have to you have to counteract a crater, but you have to you have to counteract both sides, right? But then, like JP was saying, you're going to end up with a ton more walks, and I don't think anybody wants that. So, well, you'll end up with a t- hold on. Part of the reason why guys don't want to pitch in the zone is because they get killed. If you could say you can put the ball in the zone without getting destroyed because this ball's not going to automatically leave the park, I don't think guys are going to have as much of an issue pitching in the zone. Okay, that it's a fair point, but I still think in the short term, at least, you're going to see the offense crater, and people are going to be like, oh my god, baseball is so boring, which is a problem baseball has marketing-wise anyway. Okay, so I want to... has forever. Yeah, okay, and we could probably ramble on and on for this, but I want to get into this. Uh, Sean uh, Andrews asks on Twitter, who are the five starting pitchers in the rotation on August 1st, since we're approaching the trade deadline? Currently, it would be it's Brandon Woodruff, Zach Davies, Chase Anderson, Yulis Chassin, and Gio Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Okay. A, how do we feel about that starting five? B, do they have someone that they could go out and acquire that would be in an upgrade over those five guys? And, I, you know, Jimmy Nelson's kind of starting his rehab, but I think the plan is still to leave him in the bullpen for the time being. So but is this said, just like a they guess? They said that he's going to be taking multiple rehab starts. Well, exactly. Like, yeah, even... Even when he's coming back, we're still looking at, you know, what, mid-August? Yeah, I think basically their plan for him is to say, you're going to basically take as long of a rehab stint as you can, and we're planning for you to be here in September. I th- I know that he'll have to be back before that because his rehab will, will end, but it's basically pretty clear that they're like, we're going to, we want you to be here closer to September. To My answer to the question, I think, um, I don't, I don't think that they're going to add a starting pitcher that necessarily comes in and just uh, is is a big upgrade anywhere. I think that that is going to be the starting five on on August 1st. I think where they do add is going to be the bullpen. And yeah, I think that that starting rotation, we've seen it last year. I think that starting rotation is potentially fine. And I think that their strategy right now is to be able to say we can deal with a fine starting rotation if we've got a bullpen that can be able to, to go out and do it. I don't think that there are a lot of options to be able to go out and get a starting pitcher that's going to be meaningful. Uh, I know that people have been talking about Zach Wheeler. He's just gone down with with like shoulder fatigue or, or something like that, like shoulder soreness. Um, that's not and, and they're not going to have a piece to go out and get somebody like Noah Syndergaard. The, the Pirates are saying that Jordan Lyles is available, but, you know, th- like those pieces aren't going to do anything. Uh, the pieces that they're going to potentially go out and add, I think, are going to be to the bullpen. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they had Mike Miner. 
So, and push Shasin, I don't know, out of the rotation, off the roster, I'm not sure. But I think they, I think they are going to make something of a move there. I think they're going to add both in the bullpen and the rotation. So you don't think Shasin can get on a run here where he's effective again? I think he can. I don't know that I would want to necessarily bet on it. Um, I, you know, chances are they probably stick with him, but I, I think that there's going to be some opportunities here. The market seems to be shaping up to be pretty buyer friendly again. And I think so you think, make you think Chase Anderson has a better grip on his rotation spot than Yuli Shasin at the moment? I mean, their ERAs are almost two points different. No, I understand, but... Chase Anderson is... Yeah, Chase Anderson was dropped right. from the rotation and couldn't make the postseason roster last year. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying, that was, wasn't that long ago. It wasn't and that long ago. Chasin was looked at as the ace, co-ace of the staff. It was funny, though. Even last year, you know bad chase anderson last year and i know he was he was shakier towards the end and that's why he got pulled from the rotation but chase anderson had an era last year under four like even bad chase anderson was just not that bad yeah but chase anderson's also a guy that has home run issues and we were just talking about a juice ball for how long like i i mean jp going forward do you think anderson can keep up his production or is he the kind of guy that this ball is going to at some point bite pretty hard from start to start i think he'll go through stretches where he's borderline on roster rosterable uh whether or not that happens by the end of the year is is another question um i think we've seen throughout his his career that he goes through stretches where he's quite good and he goes through stretches in which he, he's not worth being on a major league roster um it's a lot like junior Guerra. it's a lot it's a lot like the guys that they have uh throughout the roster and and maybe yuli shasin is is that kind of guy now Maybe he's that kind of guy where he goes through three or four month stretches where he's a rock solid starter. And then there are parts that he can't really command the baseball very much. We saw it at the beginning of the 2018 season where he he really struggled for a few. And to be honest, Zach Davies is a little bit that guy as well. Um, and if you don't have overpowering stuff, I think what we see in today's environment is you will go through stretches where you are awful. And that could just be what the what the team looks like now but i do think yuli shasin can still be a useful major league pitcher whether or not he's able to turn that around you know is another question i do think right now chase anderson has a better lock on a role than than yuli shasin does because i think what the brewers have shown is that they want to ride the hot hand as much as they can in the starting rotation and one thing to note about chase anderson too he's been a guy who and we talked about this with jonathan judge way back about the fact that he kind of typically overperforms uh, his peripherals. And if you look at his peripherals this year, it's kind of amazing. He has a 392 DRA this year. Uh, he has significantly improved his peripheral performance. And so he seems to have actually improved as a pitcher this year. Even okay, you, hold on, hold on, hold back, on. Is that, is that an improvement by Chase Anderson or is that an improvement of DRA as a statistic? Um, I mean, if you look at this is his lowest DRA, he has a lower DRA right now, 392, than he did when he was, you know, Ace Chanderson back in I understand that. 2017. Hold on a second. JP, he what? had a 413 DRA then. JP, what did you say there? I said that's a really good question because DRA has been changed even in the past year. That they're right, consistent. but DRA is consistent going backwards now, though, right? If you look at, like, the number for 2017 where it was 413, it's the same formula that produces... 
that 413 as the 392 now, right? I couldn't tell you that. I like I can't imagine it wouldn't be. They'd have to keep this formula the same. Maybe it's a question I, for Jonathan, but well, but again, when we were talking about that, like I said, they're still making adjustments to that. So uh, you know, the idea that like, oh, he always outpitches peripherals. I'm like, well, we don't know. But right, what exactly. I will say, what I will say with Chase Anderson on a very positive side, his uh, velocity is up on his fastball about a mile per hour. His swinging strike rate is up over two percent this year. Um, he is throwing his cutter much more often and he's up two miles per hour on his cutter. He's averaging about 90 miles per hour where last year he was at 88. I would um, say that velocity was the big issue last year when we saw him come back and he wasn't that, that ace we'd gotten in 2017. Yeah. He was down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know how much of that is based on, because he did pitch out of the bullpen a little bit this year and maybe he was throwing harder out of the bullpen. I'm not sure how that necessarily correlates over, over it, but, um, I would be really interested if the Brewers actually had the pieces to go out and get a Mike Miner if they had something to be able to give up that they wanted. So I want to throw something out there before we get it before we get on this because I want to get to I apologize for there are a couple of questions on Travis Shaw and and, and I want to Yeah, go ahead. Is Travis Shaw a trade piece now? Is he somebody because and I know that part of this is Lucas Ersig. He is playing first base every day down in AAA. He's not playing third base. He's playing first base every single game. And is this a situation in which Eric Thames is potentially a trade piece that they could go out and, and move around? Um, because if not, I don't know how Travis Shaw gets back into this team until September. Yeah, we were talking about that last week, too. And I don't see the, the path. Until so my, September. So my question is: Is going to if you're saying that they're going to go out and get Mike Miner, they're not going to trade Keston here, obviously. No. Frank Grisham. I mean, maybe, but he, if if I'm the Brewers right now and I'm looking at somebody like Frank Grisham coming out and hitting the way that he is, he's not somebody that I'm like super excited to trade. Uh, I don't think they've got the pieces to go out and get. It. If you have somebody like a Travis Shaw, is that enough to say we'll give you Travis Shaw? And, you know, a, a really interesting guy down in a ball or something like that to be able to get somebody like Mike Miner, because Mike Miner's not a rental and, and Miner's been pretty decent this year. He's not going to be cheap. Miner's been good. Flat out. Very good. Um, good. So he's still not going to be cheap. And if you're saying that they're going to go out and get him, I don't know. If, I don't know how you package something together. To I'm envisioning out. a package headlined by Bryce Turing. Yeah, that's an if they did it. Great. Go and do it now. Okay. I mean, it's it was kind of a shot in the dark. I'm taking a stab on this one. Um, like I said, I think it's probably more likely they just kind of stick with what they have. But I don't know. It, it's going to depend on what the market is. And we're seeing the market sort of slowly come into shape. And it seems, like I said, to be buyerish again. So Okay. Well, okay. Here's what's funny is early in the week, we got a Facebook question from Ted Langer. And he basically asked, he was, he was piggybacking off of the um, radio questions that were coming in of whether the Brewers should be buyers or sellers at the deadline. So I guess with this recent turnaround this week, do we believe that this team is you know no longer in that like, should we even consider selling? Because it seemed a little ridiculous at the time, and I understand that they need to you know fill as much airtime as possible when they're doing radio shows. Um, 
But I guess what's the signal to fans coming to this trade deadline? Are you all in, Ryan, on this team being buyers? Or do you think there's a path where they basically just stand pat and believe that the roster A has the potential to get into the postseason as is, and B, it's a better path long term? Yeah, the question is not buyer or seller. It's stand pat to seller somewhere in that spectrum. They're not going to be sellers. So buyers to stand pat. Oh, not sorry. Sellers. Did I say sellers? Yeah. yeah. Between It's somewhere between full-on buying and kind of standing pat. And I think they're going to, at a very minimum, I think they're going to add around the edges. They're going to add some bullpen piece that you can kind of dream on. The way they added Anthony Swarzak in 2017. Like, that's sort of like the minimum baseline I see. That would be episode number one. Was that really episode number that one? That was episode number one. Wow. Nice callback. Full, full circle. That's why you're the best in the business, Steve. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of like the baseline is like add an Anthony Swarzak. That is the that is the bottom line. And then depending on what the market says, depending on what they look like over the next week and a half. I mean, if they continue to play hot ball like they have, I think it it pushes more and more towards the team pushing more and more prospects towards, you know, winning now. I mean, basically, they're a half game in the wild card right now at the moment. And this is before Sunday's game. So that kind of tells you that they're, they're in the dogfight. They're in the playoffs at the moment. So, uh, JP, I mean, I guess what is your view of the path they should take at the trade deadline? And then we also have a question from Matt Ballman, and he asks, should the Brewers address uh, shortstop in the next 10 days? Like, because uh, we talk a lot about pitching, you know, yeah, yeah. adding relievers, adding a starter. But is do they need to basically add someone in the field to uh, bolster this roster to, I guess, kind of even it out? I don't I don't think so. Uh, I think if they really were interested in adding a shortstop, they could just bring Mauricio Dubon up. Uh, I think that Mauricio Dubon's going to play probably a pretty big role in September. Um I, I wouldn't be too worried about adding there. I think the the most interesting thing that I think the Brewers are probably going to be able to do is they might be able to be buyers while also being sellers. And I don't mean that in terms of like, maybe they're going to buy here and then they're going to sell somebody for prospects. That's not really what I mean. They might make some kind of deal in which, you know, like the Domingo Santana, Ben Gamble deal. There, they last year basically what they did was they took Jonathan VR and they traded him for Jonathan Scope, right? I mean, it was VR plus a couple of other pieces, but they've got some guys up in the upper parts of the minors that uh, could use playing time elsewhere, and they could potentially trade uh, a guy who could start for a team. They could trade somebody like a Jesus Aguilar. They could trade somebody like uh, an Eric Thames. They could trade somebody like Travis Shaw. They could trade somebody, uh, you know, whether or not you're even going to start looking at the outfield where they could start looking. I don't necessarily know if they would move somebody like Grisham, but somebody that could potentially be useful in in uh, kind of a team that needs to give young people some playing time. I think that they can still look to package something available at a major league level Um I don't necessarily know that gives that brings back any impact talent. I think that this the problem is twofold to me. Number one, I don't think that there are really anybody interesting. I don't think there's anybody interesting available, uh, to be honest. I don't think that there are very many pieces that are are going to be sold that I'm all that interested in. Mike Miner doesn't uh, interest. Ryan's you? angry because of the Mike Miner thing. 
Mike Miner, you don't even know if Mike Miner is available. Mm, he's available-ish. What the hell does That's, that I mean? I, I don't even know what that means. If that means great, you can have him if you like vastly overpay and then we're interested in getting rid of him. I don't necessarily know if that means he's available. Um, I don't. And again, I don't think Mike Miner is a piece that goes out and is really an impact piece down the down the stretch. Uh, Mike Miner is not somebody that has a huge level of track record at this point. Um, I think Mike Miner is interesting and fine. He's also uh, a huge, huge injury risk. That's uh, that's the injury. biggest downside there is uh, you just don't know if he's going to be healthy. And when you look at what they're going to potentially be able to add in the bullpen, I mean, again, if Will Smith is the best piece that's available, I think he's fine. But he's not going to be a Brad Hand that is going to be on the market like like what was it last year? Um, maybe if Kirby Yates is going to be available, that the Padres can go and get something really interesting. But they can use Kirby Yates going forward. And I don't necessarily know what's available. And on top of that, I don't think the Brewers have a whole lot to offer that's really impact. So I think that that is going to be a level of kind of. Um, Meaning, if they do go and get a bat, it's not going to be anything interesting. It's going to be a utility guy. Or if they go and get somebody, it's going to have to be in the bullpen because I think that's their biggest potential impact because the price isn't going to be as high there. Okay, so speaking of guys that they can make improvements with in just basically promoting within in the organization, Adam Post asks, how long must the Brewers keep giving Saladino chances he looks lost at the plate? Couldn't they just swap him and Dubon? So I guess at this point... I, have they gotten to the point where they just need to to make that call and say Tyler Saladino is just not going to be the guy that can pair with Orlando Arcia when he struggles? I mean, Saladino is a good target for people because he's a marginal big leaguer who has a track record of mediocrity, who has come up and been absolutely awful. I mean, 102, 120, 102 in 50 plate appearances at the big league level. It's terrible. Um, but the idea that like they picked him over Dubon, they, they looked at him and said, we think he's going to be better on this roster right now than Dubon is. And that's based on, I mean, he put up in AAA this year in 264 plate appearances, a 288, 375, 568 line. And the big thing they need to, Ross, to, be, fa- to be, to be fair, that's below average for the PCL this year. It's not below average, is it? Below average for the PCL this year. You got to be kidding! That's actually below average. Uh, it's it's, it's no, tough. come on. A one thousand or just, close to a one thousand, or it's like nine forty or something. OPS is below keep, average. No, keep going, keep going. Okay, so anyway, point is, is that Saladino was brought up because they felt good about the defense that he could play these different defensive positions and fit in there without a hitch, and that he has this right-handed power, which is the thing that their lineup sort of lacks. If there's anything that this lineup isn't great at, it's right-handed power. Well, they still lack it with Saladino and his 102 slugging. Yeah, but he had a 568 slugging in AAA in like 250 plate appearances. And I know people don't want to hear that. People just want to assume that what they see from him Ryan, at you the could probably level slug is your, crap. You could probably slug your weight in the PCL. Wow, that would. All right, it's it's a little (laughs) above average. 
I mean, it is, is it is a little above average for this year. But the point is, is that they picked Saladino over Dubon because their indicators, what they were looking at, there's no reason that they would have picked Saladino over Dubon other than they thought Saladino was a better bet to be good right now. I don't know, JP, you have a veteran who's down there that you signed to a minor league deal. Uh, does he get preference over a guy that still has uh, options, a younger guy like Dubon? I think that I think Dubon right now they still want to get every day at bats. I think right now Saladino doesn't play enough to be to be worth being mad at. Um, but I will say that Corey Spangenberg is basically hitting uh, the same as Tyler Saladino this year. Uh, Corey Spangenberg is hitting three seventeen, three eighty five, five hundred nine. If you're wondering how the PCL treats you this year, um, it's balls it's, are flying. They they are flying. Yes, they are. Uh, and you've got. A situation in in which I think they're trying to. I I do wonder if they're just basically trying to get by for a month, and then Mauricio Dubon will be up in September. I mean, if they wanted to call up, or if they wanted to make a move for a right-handed hitting guy who can play the whole left side of the infield, second base on over, um, that'd be fine. And I don't know exactly who even that guy would be in this market. I know Freddie Galvis is somebody who's been suggested by uh, Kyle at Brew Crew Ball. And yeah, I mean, that could potentially work, but it would all be dependent on like what you'd have to give up to get him. So it, I could see upgrading that spot on the roster if it's cheap. If it's a low-cost upgrade, that would be fine. But the idea that Dubon would magically be better than Saladino is you know it, it's based on more we haven't seen saladino or we've seen saladino fail and we haven't seen dubon fail so let's bring the guy that we haven't seen fail yet because at well, least then we don't have to i think there's that. a feeling at least with dubon as a younger player that there's at least some kind of ceiling we can dream on where saladino well, we know that you know maybe you get a hot two weeks and that's about it from him yeah i was gonna say to be fair i do think that there's no guarantee that dubon would be better than than saladino over 50 plate appearances in the major leagues I think that that's absolutely true, but I think that Dubon is a better hitter than Saladino, just like in terms of his ability to hit the ball. So then better. what okay. makes you think that the Brewers kept, hold on, what makes you think that uh, the Brewers kept Saladino down, was, or that they chose Saladino over Dubon? Is it purely defense? I think I think it's wanting a guy who's actually like a veteran major league guy to sit on the bench and not play every day. I don't think you go and get one of your top 10 prospects to come up and say, we're going to bring you up, but you're going to play twice a week. Like there's, why would you do that? Yeah, that's the, that makes sense. Okay. So we have a Patreon question from Jeffrey Emenecker, a random question with Hira being so hot, three brewers with the fastest bat speed, at least to my eye, he says in my lifetime, I can recall our Sheffield weeks and Hira. Are there any others? Uh, how would you rank those three against each other? Sheffield is hard because what I remember of Gary Sheffield is end phase Gary Sheffield, not young. Gary Sheffield, especially in terms of like, I mean, I remember like young, speed. young Gary Sheffield exploding as a Padre right after he was, you know, traded from the Brewers. No, no, no. I mean, I remember that. I'm talking about like remembering specifically the bat speed. I can remember Richie sure. Weeks's bat absolutely flying through the zone in 2006, 2007, and going, "Wow, that is you know a crazy, crazy amount of bat speed." Uh, but I don't remember Sheffield that same way, so it's hard to compare. Um, I don't think Hura has quite what Weeks does. Weeks had such a violent, crazy-ass swing 
that was just you know pure velocity through the zone yeah jp does Hira have great bat speed or does he just have a compact swing because when i see it i see a really compact swing that just it gets to the zone and it stays there but he whips it through pretty quickly yeah i think that Hira does have a lot of bat speed um i think the biggest thing that the reason that weeks's swing always looked more violent was because it was in and out of the zone so quickly um, I think Hira is able to kind of flatline it a little bit more where uh, Weeks's was a lot more, um, I don't want to say vertical because that's a little bit misleading, but like he just doesn't stay in the, because Ryan Braun has a ton of bat speed, but Ryan Braun sits vertically in the zone for a long time and keeps the bat head there for a very long time. But if you look at his ability to just flick his wrist out to right field and hit something over the, like that's bat speed. It's all it's it's the same way that, you know, if, if you watch golf, like uh, Freddie Couples didn't look like he had a whole lot of club head speed because he swung like, you know, he was 80 years old. But down at the bottom, he was quick as hell there with his wrists. And it's it's a lot more about what you do at the impact zone and how quickly you can whip the bat through. Uh, because for me, I think that uh, Sheffield had the the I mean, this is just I was not. Uh, you know, aware of much when when Sheffield was first coming up, but just knowing him and seeing video in the past, I would say that Sheffield had the best bat speed out of that, and then I would say probably Weeks and Hira, but I still think Hira has a ton of bat speed. But guys like uh, guys like even Brian Braun, I think, are worth a mention in terms of their bat speed as well, because you don't have the kind. It's just their their swings visibly look different. Well, and I know I read an article about bat speed one time, and they were talking about. Albert Pujols, who actually did not rank that highly in bat speed, but he was able to A, stay inside the zone, and B, he just had that flick at the end of his swing basically to create that that launch that you needed. So it, it's kind of... And that's what I think of with Braun, too, is the quick or the strong wrists. Yeah. Miguel Cabrera is a good one to watch for that. He never... When you watch Cabrera, you never thought he had like a super quick bat, but part of that was that bat flattened out through the zone and his hitting zone was so wide. A-Rod was like that too. He had a really long hitting zone. And it's about bat speed where, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because your bat speed doesn't, it's it's the thing about like weeks and here that make them seem like they have such big bat speed is because it's fast through the whole thing. Where somebody like Pujols, somebody like A-Rod, somebody like, like Braun, it's not super fast because they actually have a little bit longer swings, but in the hitting zone, it's fast as hell because they all of a sudden just use their wrist and they can just flick it. Yeah. And it just but again, Hira, Hira flattens out, and I think he's in that zone a quite a bit longer than, than Weeks ever was. So yeah. they're not really the same type of hitter Absolutely, and it's why Hira's a better hitter. Yes. We won't say that too loudly. Some I, people I, will be upset. I apologize, Andy, but Hira's a better <laughs> hitter than, than Weeks ever was. He is. Hira's kind of the guy that we hoped that Weeks would be, isn't he? I think, yeah. The like the, Weeks was always like insanely patient coming up, so that was always part of his profile and part of why so many people of a certain mindset gravitated to him was that he was this power-speed combo with extreme plate discipline and that that was present all the way up through the minor leagues. And at that time, when that was such a valued commodity, the idea of plate discipline being so important coming out of the Moneyball era, that was part of why so many people, you know, took him to their bosom in a way that, uh, you know, drove other people absolutely insane. Oh, he was a sabermetric dream. Right. He was that player. He was a player up the middle, and he had 
that extraordinary plate discipline. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm doing all the Kessin Hira questions right now, if you haven't noticed. Uh, we have one from Joe in Superior. He says, not counting Hira, uh, as he's no longer listed as a prospect. Is there any Brewers prospect you consider untouchable? Uh, no, but I do think that it would be very difficult for them to trade uh, Trent Grisham right now unless they are unless they just basically decide that Grisham is blocked by uh, by Yelich and Braun over the next couple of years. And then therefore they might as well cash out. Um, then maybe he gets moved. But I don't necessarily know if there's much on the market that I would want to move him for uh, just because, again, I don't. Outside of like a, a vast overpay, I'm not really sure what's going to be like maybe Marcus Stroman. But again, I still think that's going to cost an arm and a leg. And I think the Yankees are probably going to get him. Yeah. Bill Wesley, I said, is there any way to get Stroman without uh, Kesson Hira? I, you're going to have to offer a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, I, they would I'm have not, to be in love, absolutely in love with Trent Grisham. Because basically the Yankees gonna are going to walk up and be able to say, we've got all of these arms in our, our, our farm system that are really high end. And we're willing to give you Clint, Clint Frazier. And yeah, the Clint Frazier thing is pissing me off because I have him in fantasy. <laughs> I think he hit. hit. Here we go. And he hit. And he was worth playing. And they. Oh. He's good. Yeah, he's, he's a good hitter. And basically the Yankees and the Yankees have come out and said, we're willing to trade him, but not for a rental. Can, can the Brewers get Clint Frazier and play him at first base long term? <laughs> I, I think that what I've heard that maybe they're going to go after Chris Davis and try to play him at first base. I've heard kind of stories that like which, maybe which Chris Davis though or not first base. Um, yeah, I, I still think that Clint Frazier is probably going to be on the move. If you want a uh, a little bit of fantasy baseball advice and you're and you want to stash somebody over the next couple of weeks, Clint Frazier is one of the guys that could absolutely see his his stock skyrocket. That's what I do. I build for 2020 in a redraft league. <laughs> got to do what you can, right? You got to play to your strengths. That's what happens when you hang around Ryan too much. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Blame it on me. You were the one that was just talking about your dynasty trade and, and like we're bragging about the fact you're not going to compete next year. I mean, I'm not going to compete next year, but my team's damn good in 2022. And then it'll be 2023 after that. You'll be like, maybe I'll trade this guy who just made the big leagues for this really hot and upcoming prospect. Ryan has always dominated a decade after his team, you know. So anyways, uh, we have a question from our buddy Kurt Hogg. Uh, he asks, uh, who should people temper their expectations around more for the rest of the season? Uh, Keston Hira, Zach Davies, or Tom, my podcast buddy, unblocking me. We <laughs> have Tom, ha- uh, Tom Hardricourt. Who's still yeah. blocking Steve. Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're what, three levels here? We were talking about this before the uh, uh, podcast started. So we have I'm blocked. JP is no longer followed. And then, Ryan, you're still followed by... I'm still in good standing with uh, Mr. Hottercourt, yes. Yeah, so what do we apparently think? apparently, I'm not a jerk like you two. I think what I will say is that there's no way Hottercourt's unblocking Steve. No. I, I said that last year. I still think there's no... So I think, Kurt, if you're getting your hopes up and thinking that... that unless you've got an inside track, unless you're going to be in the press box and you're going to say that you have to do this, because I could see you doing that, Kurt, that you would say, just to piss people off, would you unblock Steve for a day... Let's make and then he's going to go and he'll point it out on Twitter and everybody will see it and it'll be a big celebration. And then like he'll go and reblock you. Steve will say something rude to Hottercourt within 24 hours. So like that'll take care of itself. Like he'll just be a jerk. honestly, I'm barely on Twitter anymore. But uh, <laughs> Kurt, 
uh, if you're listening, please please tell Tom that he is my podcast buddy. We we were featured on the same podcast on the uh, JS Baseball podcast, so um, we are connected in a way. If he doesn't realize it, we're uh, simpatico. You're, you're practically brothers. Is what we you're are. Saying. Yeah, Tom and I and uh, Cato Kalen are all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's the first time we've mentioned that shit on this podcast, but like, I was say this basically reminds me of that meme from like the, what is it, the Will Ferrell meme, where he's like, "Did we just become best friends?" That's <laughs> yeah, you and Hodder Court. Um, to answer the question specifically, even though I know Kurt doesn't care about that, I don't think anybody else does either. Let's go, Steve being unblocked. Uh, Davies and Hira in that order in terms of... So you have the most confidence in Hira going forward, the least confidence in me being unblocked. By a hot record. Yeah, and then Davies is somewhere in the middle there. Okay. I think he might just have the least amount of confidence in you generally, Steve. <laughs> like, Justified. <laughs> I will say, uh, though, Hira is basically showing exactly why I was making the argument in May that he, there was no argument to not have him on the big league roster because he was the best infield hitter that they had. He has been better than I could have possibly hoped. Well, I, I guess how much of a mistake was it then for the Brewers to keep giving Shaw an opportunity? Because, I mean, they hung with him and he was garbage for another month after showing he was not hitting before that. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think it's if they were going to ultimately make this decision anyway, and that was actually on the table that they were willing to option him, they should have done it earlier. Um, I think for the longest time, it was they just didn't want to make a decision. And uh, I think it did hurt them. I, I don't I don't think you can put a number on it. Somebody was asking, like, how many wins did it cost them? I, I don't know. I don't think there's any way to prove that. It might not have cost him anything. I, I was going to say, that would, I would imagine that would be marginal. Even if you want to try to play that game, I mean, well, I also, a, a win that Hero would have provided them that Shaw didn't because he was on the roster. I mean, because they were going through a stretch where the uh, the pitching staff was giving up a ton of runs. Zach Davies right. went through a tough stretch. It doesn't matter how many extra runs Keston Hero is able to drive in if you're giving up, you know, but, over but five runs a game. That exact argument about marginality is why they didn't make a decision for about a month. Because they were like, this will not make that much of a difference over a course of an entire season i don't necessarily know if that's true um i think it's difficult to try to kind of like parse that out but kesson hira uh kesson here should have been on the team if like meritocracy was a thing like should have been on the team to break the yeah seat. i mean but, i get it because i also understand that i think going forward they would prefer to have travis shaw as the starting third baseman in 2020 as opposed to having to resign mike moustakas and 2020 2021 2022 he's under control for all those years exactly and he's yeah, been but, hitting the living crap out of the ball in triple a i just I, I don't think we mentioned this i yet. don't care about that but he's shown that he can be a major league hitter he's shown he can be a major league hitter and he is 333 492 792 in july I mean, and he's walked more than he's struck out. Well, like, let me tell you something. I think that's still worse than Trent Grisham. It probably is. But the point is, is that like the concern about Travis Shaw was that he was not driving baseballs, right? Because his approach never totally like bottomed out in the big leagues. It was the fact that when he would get a ball in the zone. Well, I don't know. Your approach might not bottom out, but if you're batting a buck 60, yeah, but I he think was still everything's... Take, he was still taking walks. Was That's the issue. not the same thing as having a good... Hold on. The problem was is that he, when he would get a, meat, a meatball, 
And this is when I made the decision where I'm like, okay, they can send him down. They can, you know, whatever. Oh, you made the decision. Okay. When I, when I, well, when I had been a big okay. Travis Shaw supporter. And when I said like, okay, I see it. It was when you could see that he would get a, a, a meatball to hit and he just didn't do anything with it. That was the concern. Well, he's hitting the crap out of baseballs now in AAA, and that does mean something. So, like, I mean, what was Tyler Saladino's line in AAA? That's fine. That's not the point. The point is, is that the, the concern was that he wasn't squaring up baseballs and driving them at all, even when he got a, a, a hittable pitch in the big leagues. Okay, JP, what do you think? Now he is doing it. Jesus Aguilar was having the exact same struggle for a long time, and you never would have made that call for for him either. The what? the only reason you were willing to make that call with Travis Shaw is because they could option him. You were never willing to actually throw in the towel on him, even I, though he I was said still... a week and a half, two weeks before Shaw got sent down, that I would be okay with releasing Aguilar at this point. I did. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. I, I did in, in late June. I was like, if he's not, I got to the point where it was, if he's not going to play, if he's not going to get into the roster, and even when you're facing all these lefties, I think it was that run where they faced all those lefties and they had Grandal like in at first base like two or three days. I said, if if that's the case, then it's time to move on. And to his credit, he, he was already actually starting to hit at that point. It just wasn't obvious yet. Ryan's timing is always bad. So anyways, speaking <laughs> of timing, we're going to wrap this thing up. <laughs> JP, you got a new uh, Baseball Prospectus podcast uh, starting up here, don't you? I do. So there will be more information on that coming in the future. I believe it will be starting this upcoming week. So I don't want to give too much away on it. But but yeah, folks that do, uh, I guess, uh, play fantasy baseball and are interested in Dynasty Leagues can and, pay more attention. To, and I bring, to I bring that up partly because that has affected your mini pod output. Yes. So um, as much as I would love to say that I could keep doing, you know, three podcasts a week or something like that, I, I can't. Uh, so the mini pods will probably they they'll either be more sporadic or they'll be every other week um, just because uh, BP has asked me to take something on. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that ends up going. It'll end up just kind of feeling it out as it goes to see how much work I have to do for the BP thing, because uh, the mini pods I can kind of just do whenever I get annoyed by something. Exactly. So the mini pods, they're little specials you can be excited to see pop up in your feed occasionally. You know, people or, want you to do a deep dive into the uh, 2008 and 2011 playoff runs and what made them fall apart. That would take more than 20 minutes, which I think is usually the the mini pod time. But there's also Ben Sheets requests and a bunch of different well, things. So. I, I need to get to the Ben Sheets thing because I love Ben Sheets. Um, but uh I will not do a mini pod. I, I I apologize to to break people's heart about the the 2011 playoff run because my answer about the Sean Markham thing is I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that and was like, that was fun I, this week. I, I was gonna say I really do respect the fact that there are a lot of people that are invested in it. I don't think it really made much of a difference. Yeah, and that's my mini pod on it. <laughs> there you go, mini pod right in contained inside the uh, Milwaukee Steelgate podcast. Uh, don't forget we have the bobblehead giveaway. So. Uh, Send in your guess on the, what was it again? Batting average with runners in scoring position from Monday to Sunday. Make sure you get that in by Tuesday at midnight. Walk.tailgate at gmail.com. 
Yes, milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Hey, and don't forget that you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level and above receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com um, or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can leave reviews, and that helps people find the podcast. So thanks for listening to our 100th episode. 100. The balloons are dropping from the ceiling. Glitter. They are. Ryan's looking up with with his mouth just agog and his eyes wide. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) We should have popped some champagne and been like, woo. Pop, make a popping yep. sound. Steve, Steve did pop a beer earlier. Yeah, so, <laughs> oh, that was the last one. Okay, last question we were going to. Oh get yeah, in. yeah, that question. We have a Patreon question from Jaren, Darren Jones. He asked. He said, "Congratulations on episode 100. Uh, what are you drinking?" Which is a nod to um, Up and In from years ago. Yep, the old Up and In podcast. Up and In with Kevin Goldstein and. Jason Parks. So I'm, I'm currently under orders from my wife to clear out the refrigerator from some of the beers I brought back from Boston. I brought back a, a good number of beers from Boston, really good stuff. And so uh, I brought those over, and that's what we've uh, mostly been enjoying here are some of these. Yeah, Boston so we beers. have a Skimpy Sparrow, which is an American Pale Ale from Trillium Brewing. Uh, what the hell is this one? It's Julius, Steve. It's a fish beer. It's literally a fish beer. Is it really? Yep. From Treehouse. Okay, so we got Julius, which is another IPA from uh, Treehouse. And then we had the, oh, it was all a dream juicy IPA from Third Space. Yep. So th- those were the three we went through. And then JP, what did And you that have? was because we didn't have any, uh, we didn't happen to have any uh, carbon four in the house. So not at the moment. We usually have plenty of that. We, I had a 12 pack that we just uh, went through in the past couple of podcasts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A Fantasy Factory. I had JP, uh, or not JP, JR, when he was here. It was the first first Fantasy Factory he had, apparently. So, uh, JP, what do you have? I am uh, I'm enjoying some coffee this morning on, on the on the West Coast from uh, the local coffee roaster. Uh, in, in Starbucks? Oregon. Coffee plant roaster. <laughs> nice small bit. It's a nice, small, small batch uh, uh, roast, actually, out of Ethiopia, and it's delightful. Yeah, you you have now gone to uh, recording in the mornings as opposed to later in the afternoon. Like I know, used to which be. I had coffee in the afternoon anyway, so it wasn't like really. It was either, but now it's like more normal that I have a coffee during the podcast. But yeah, so it it's a nice Ethiopian roast. It's very light. Um, it's not as floral as some of them. It it's it's much more fruit forward, but I like it quite a bit. See, JP and I could actually do like talking coffee. I think Ryan has to be excluded from this part of it. Absolutely, we could, and it's it's a it's a great opportunity for me to to come to the West Coast and try a whole bunch of new coffees. Stumptown Coffee in, in, in Oregon is great. Their Holler Mountain is one of my favorites that I've had. Much more of a caramely kind, which is kind of my favorite. So uh, it's it's delicious. Okay, so we are going to get those updates weekly from JP on all the coffee he's tried. So hey, thanks for listening. Look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.
I do listen when I'm I'm not on. Well, I listen when I'm not on. Jim, do you listen when you're not on? No, he doesn't. <laughs> Just There's like, no way he does. He's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't even listen when I am on. <laughs> well, I don't listen when I'm on it. No, I meant like while I'm, I'm doing so- the podcast. I'm, I'm not a listen. sociopath. <laughs> no. I mean, like while we're doing the podcast, I don't really listen. <laughs> I know. I, I see you turn away and tune out. <laughs> I'm looking there and I'm thinking, oh, what can I ask him that's going to throw him off? No, I was going to say, because a lot of the time what I am doing is I've got two screens going and I'm usually looking up some stats or something. Yeah. Oh, I will say, unless Ryan starts in on 